0: Hello and welcome to the Stratford East podcast. Our building is now fully open and we are loving having audiences back. In this episode, we spoke to actors Michelle Fox and Curtis Lee Ashkar who are currently appearing in Connor McPherson's haunting Dublin ghost story, Shining City. You can catch Shining City here at Stratford East until Saturday the 23rd of October and tickets are available to buy online at stratfordeast.com. As ever, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Stratford East podcast for all the latest interviews. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us on podcast at stratfordeast.com or tweet us at Stratford East.
1: I am joined by Michelle and Curtis Lee from The Shining City Company. Hello. Hello. How are you both doing? Yeah, good, good.
0: Good. And we are, what, a week and a half
1: into the run? God, is I, I've I've lost myself. I don't know how long. I suppose because of Tech Week and things like that, you feel mm-hmm. you feel like you you live at the theatre now.
0: And how's it all been going so far? Has it how's it feel on the stage? A-
2: amazing. It just feels amazing to be back performing uh, in front of a live, non socially distance audience. Most times, I know we have the social distance shows as well, but the majority of the shows have been very just electric. You know.
0: Yeah, can you can you for those that don't know, can you tell us a bit about about the show and about your characters without giving away too much?
1: Of course. Um, so I suppose without any spoilers, uh, Shining City is um, about a recently bereaved man called John who goes to a therapist named Ian um, to basically um, discuss uh, his bereavement and his difficulty after losing his wife and some very shocking revelations that he comes out with and the two men's lives start to kind of shadow each other and intermingle and uh I play Nisha Ian's partner and they're at a big breaking point in their relationship they've just had a child things are not going well um and there's a lot of unanswered questions um and Curtis Lee obviously plays <coughs> Lawrence um, who is uh, basically a, a, a young man on
2: on a path that is is quite difficult at the moment and trying to find a bit of solace I suppose. Yeah I suppose he emerges from one of John, I think Ian gets the idea from John and therefore goes seeking to, to fill the void Yeah. in a non-spoiler alert manner. No absolutely. <laughs> <Just yeah. laughs>
0: It's it. It deals with a lot, doesn't it? The play It deals with loneliness and grief, but also mm. how we kind of seek human connection, and and what that kind of looks like, and how it pl- actually plays out. Um, mm. What was the rehearsal process like?
1: It was really lovely. Um, it it was it was very Nadia is so open to anyone uh, joining in, and and even if it's I suppose. Not about your character, but it's in the world of the play. She's very open. It's not like a closed-off kind of space where you're just told what to do. It was a very uh, joined experience, and there was a lot of improv, and there was um, ju- a, a lot of uh, movement work with the great Jack Murphy. Um, and it was a really lovely experience after, I suppose, what has been kind of a you know hard, hard road back to the arts. Absolutely.
2: The rehearsal room it was just really magical the last show that I did was Gilgamesh and we had to do it in pairs so we could only be in the rehearsal and be masked and be two metres apart and then the lockdown happened again in Galway so then that was up in the air and we never got to the live shows so coming into this like having relocated to London temporarily just for the production um, I had a real wide-eyed experience i suppose and many people probably witnessed that and michelle included like i was very not like a child in a toy shop but very very similar i suppose because (laughs) it was just such a buzz um like actually also like as an an actor i've been very fortunate to have a consistent pattern of work but there's always the reality at the end of a job will i have another and to have this to look forward to and then to come here it's just completely fulfill, like fulfilled any expect exceeded any expectation. Especially Nadia's process in a, such a collaborative way, it was so playful, and I think that yeah, we got to live vicariously through each other's characters as well in the improvisations and stuff. It was just such crack. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know what crack means, like fun, you know, buzz, whatever. It was great, yeah. No, it has been. It has been great
0: having. Um, more people back in the building even just staff as well as cast and company members but also audiences and and like you mentioned earlier having those having a non social distance sort of talking really does you can feel it can't you, yeah, you can yeah. feel it and i wonder how how the audience reactions have been for you guys
2: or <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't say it <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, no, it's it's been really good it's it's very different doing the show in a room where you sometimes forget cuz you you've done so many runs and you've listened to the show so many times that sometimes you know you've if if there is like bits of humor and stuff of that so some bits always stay funny but some bits you kind of forget and then when you have an audience and sometimes it can be quite a shock that they find some bits funny um and some people are very audible and i mean be having shock noises and things like that and we've even had some people calling out and that's been quite but it's lovely people it's very open theatre for people to do that, it's not, doesn't feel like it's a snooty place at all, it feels like everyone is very welcome and yeah, people mm. seem to have, have fun at it, sounds mm. good. I wonder if part of that is also down to
0: Conor McPherson's writing, like he's such a, acclaimed and, brilliant writer mm. and, um, I wonder if you could talk to us a bit about that, why do you think Conor's writing is so
2: enduring and why people love it so much? Just off the back of that, like, uh, humour element and we talked a lot about the humour as a ploy but I think it's mainly actually a deflection that we use because we don't want to go inward so we shoot something as a deflection to kind of haha it's grand I'm actually grand but in the writing the ellipse everything it just he peels it back like an, an onion or you know such a cheap metaphor <laughs> But you know There's there's. I just think of Shrek. Well, Nadia <laughs> says it better. She says on course sitting, and I really think that that is a much better <laughs> metaphor for it. Um, and Connor, I know that he he hadn't always maybe focused on dialogue, and was more of a monologue writer. But the the juice, and even within this this script, there is monologues like mammoth monologues for Brendan, who plays John. Um, and they're written in a way that is almost like a stream of consciousness in public, like this, you know. It, yeah. It's clever, isn't
0: it? Because I feel we live in an age where we are constantly stimulated. We need something, we're always on the lookout for something. But a play like this, it kind of drip feeds things to you, and you are constantly being led on, as it were, and there are revelations after revelations. And you don't get
1: it all at once. Do you know
2: what
1: I mean? Mm. I think that's a good plot. It because his writing reminds me so much of just talking to people, and we've all had those conversations in families. I mean, we've all sat around the kitchen table and heard something about someone's cousin or the woman down the road or that couple next door and things like that. And it does people people create these stories, be they true or partially true, um, or the way that they viewed them, and they become you they're very visceral and, and there is humour and there is sadness and that's how stories are told and that's why I think his writing affects people so much because they've been there, they've seen that, they know those people. Um, so, those revelations, they, they really keep you on edge because you think you know the story the whole way through and you just don't and, and everyone is very grey um, so there isn't kind of good characters and bad characters Everyone's just very real which is I mean, very true
2: to life. Mm, absolutely. I think that saying, and I'm not going to quote it correctly because I I don't often, but there's something around. The truth is always more uh, unbelievable than fiction in the end, and I think Connor has articulated it in a way where actually we go, oh my good god, Poof. Mm. and the the trains all crash together. At, you know, at clim- the way he's able to climax. And. uh those inner dialogues it's really profound mm. it's very I hate to say it all the time but it is very Shakespearean in a way because or even Pinterest like he has observed humanity in a way and has, has created this great algorithm within himself that he can just blot, like blot it out onto paper and
0: yeah putting, a, putting
2: that spotlight on yeah. humanity
0: and the human condition and I think there's a long line of Irish writers that are able to do that Um and I wondered if you if you if there were any Irish contemporary writers on your radar who we should who we should keep our eye out for because I know there's Brian Friel and Ender Walsh and all the, the classics but whether there's any any new ones that we should.
2: Kate Heffernan, I w- would strongly recommend. I don't know if you've seen any of her work. I, I did a play, and it's only th- through doing her work that I have come to know her work. Um, she writes in a way that's very subtly uh, with mythology incorporated, similar to Connor and even Marina Carr, another phenomenon that was the Gilgamesh in Galway that I was fortunate to do and then it shut down by lockdown. But Marina Carr has been writing for generations and is still able to to bash out another play that's still relevant and alive today. And Bog of Cats is a play that's very, it's based around Medea, the, the, the Greek story where the mother kills the children. Um, Spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> well, Bother yeah, Cats is based, it's based on it. It's not around it, but yeah, it's it's one of her older plays, but it's just, even in this, she sets it in a bog and, and it's a full Irish cat and it just brings these stories that con- consistently repeat throughout history. Like, we never thought we'd have a Trump as president in the 21st century and then Gilgamesh that I was fortunate enough to do was kind of a, Reflection of that and it's still something that exists today and and she honors Reality as opposed to trying to create a a fantasy world and I think her writing And Keith is just something else Mm -hmm. and both being female too, which is we put up, you know um, Yeah, no more comment
1: (laughs) Um, Definitely have to give a shout out to Matt Perry Uh, not only because we went to university together in Cork Uh, she was a fabulous writer then Uh, we were in the same drama course together Um, she wrote so much amazing stuff when we were in university really kind of fantastical plays with kind of a sprinkling of I suppose Enda Walsh that kind of like real real kind of outer world experience sometimes but with characters that are very true to life Um, she lives in London now she has done lots of shows she just had her first show in the Abbey and it went fantastically and she's really one to watch she is just going to, in, in 10 years' time, like, she, she would be quite big. She's fantastic. And she's got a real eye. Uh, even some of her stuff reminds me of things, you know, even, like, Carol Churchill's The Striker, like, really mm. gorgeous use of language and really out there. And the ideas are, sometimes they can seem crazy, but they're absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, I think she's definitely
0: one to watch. Amazing. We'll look out for those. Mm. And I wanted to ask you both about your beginnings and
2: how you both got into the arts. Okay, um, re- Okay. I'll just bash this into a whirlwind. I was fifth year in Belfast Boys Model School, which is probably the most is the most loyalist Protestant demographic in Northern Ireland, the Red Hand of Ulster and the Queen's Crown. So when my form teacher, we have registration 15 minutes every morning before class, and she came to me and asked me what I auditioned for the school play, Oliver Twist. So I'm like, no miss, that's gay, you know, because I was a little toxic masculine boy then. and still finding uh, identifying things in my reality now that are a result of that kind of upbringing but back then i wasn't uh brave enough to kind of go at it but i snuck along to the audition after she's like can you do a cockney did the cockney accent uh she offers me the part for the awful dodger and i'm like miss i can't do it unless i'm all over because my mates are going to take the piss out of me so i never did it and then a couple of weeks later she hands me a piece of paper that says rent and a phone number which is for rainbow factory uh, youth actions rainbow factory in Belfast City Centre and I went I rang it on the last day that they were open for auditions and I was clearing my top pocket on my walk home, found the page rang it and went and done rent the musical, my first ever experience, right? And I played the man who's this drug dealer character. It's very well suited for me then. Uh, so Yeah, I went there, was also doing politics at a very level and I'd set up the DUP Young Democrats with Nelson Macaussan and I was very much in the forefront of getting working class Protestant males registered to vote because they were the most underrepresented demographic. So yeah, I had this pull between politics and this pull between acting and went and applied for politics with criminology, law with politics, got accepted to law with politics, which I never thought I would. So my mum insisting I went to do it for a week, then had this kind of like, suppose quarter-life crisis, or not even, and kind of just went, right, I'm going to give the acting a bash, and then I applied for drama schools, and was extremely fortunate to get into the Lyric Academy, and my, you know, it was so unheard of to audition, and I was very sheltered, so I was still, you know, this, who's this guy, Shakespeare, that everyone wants me to, like, read this old English text, but I actually did, yeah, I really just got it when I did it, was King Edward, you know, have I, have I a tongue to do my brother's death, and That was really powerful for me just having a brother and and, you know this guy senses his brother to death and anger and then it was just from there it all kind of happened for me. Well it it became a reality because I suppose my doubt was that I'm never going to sustain a living out of this and I have not an expensive lifestyle but I like dear things or I always like pick the dearest thing on the menu without knowing the price yet and I just was like well I need to kind of make money and what I love so trying to find and still now having two children back in Belfast like the balance is extremely difficult to strike Mm -hmm. because I want nothing more than to be back home you know after six weeks being here it's really time for me to see my babies um do you want them to be actors I really just want them to do whatever they love wholeheartedly and passionately and don't let anyone tell you not to because the world is yours for the taking and people going to tell you many things but they're all going to tell you things from material motives, and the only people who actually want what's best for my babies is, I reckon, me and their mum. Yeah, absolutely. And the rest of the world is going to try and hold them back. But yeah, that's my journey in short. Love that. Love
0: that. It's like you, a lo- when I ask that question, a lot of the times it is someone at school or someone at a youth theatre that has guided someone into the arts.
2: Yeah, I was very blessed because of the sectarian, like the kind of environment. Rainbow Factory was predominantly Catholic, and I was coming as a, a wee prod from the shangle you know so there was it really educated me in a way so I quickly left the DUP pursuit behind and became quite nationalist in my view of the world I suppose but yeah thank you. Shout um, out you
1: Michelle. I kind of uh, fell into it really really early I had a bad speech impediment when I was a kid um, and the nuns in school um, said that apart from speech therapy what could help me because i was a very extrovert child so i had no problem speaking but just no one could understand what the hell i was saying um that if there was a speech and drama class run by the nuns at school and so i started going from about six and really really liked it um i mean i was in speech therapy for I don't know, seven eight years and some of that but it really really helped and looking back at some of the old videos i'm like oh my god i 10 terrible um, but I did there was these things called like Feshal and Knees and stuff like that which would be like competitions little competitions so you have like solo drama duologue minds and all that stuff and they were all out in some like country halls every weekend which I got my mom to like drive me out and I mean like fully dressed I mean like this is like me at 8 years old doing Plaza Suite like and playing like a 55 year old woman and winning the competition
0: too right bringing my
1: own telephone um, <laughs> so oh yeah so like so that was basically like my whole life in primary school then I just figured out something that I I really liked and and I I felt like I was quite good at um but then when I was a teenager then I kind of just forgot that that was how I started that it was just someone being like actually I think and and I do think that um speech and drama and Things like that can really help anyone with speech impediments. And any, like do, no matter what it is, if it's like um, a stutter or you can't pronounce your O's or your T's or your S's or a multitude of anything, they're really, really great to get kids in really young, because I don't have any, uh, any problems with speech since I was a teenager. And I think if you can get in there early, and it really boosts someone's confidence, because it gets really, really knocked uh, very early when you do realise and you come to the age when you realise that, oh God, why are people laughing when i talk and that's the reason so it does boost your confidence and also then you just have to speak all the time and you really really work at it so that's how i got in and then i just continued to do youth theatre all the way through school um to the detriment of of my schooling but then got into drama in cork and i did drama in spanish and then graduated from that quite early i graduated about 20 from my ba I went to school, I went to university quite early and then graduated, didn't really know what to do and immigrated to London the next weekend after my graduation, before my graduation, actually the week after I finished and I came back my graduation. Um, didn't kind of know what to do, uh, waitressed, slept on my sister's couch for nine months and uh, someone, uh, her, one of her best friends, Duncan, who is a, he's a pianist, he's a great conductor, um, he just says, uh, you're not going to be able to make a go of this unless you try for drama school um, it's going to be really difficult without it so I didn't know anything about drama school so I auditioned for like two or three of them that I had never heard of and I managed to get into Bristol Old Vic of which I had never heard of um, so then I moved to Bristol and realised that it was a great school um, and kind of the rest was went from there
2: Great is an understatement as well it's mm. a phenomenal school
1: I mean, actually like as in, there were so many places I didn't audition for because I had no idea what they were and I, it, 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 it did help <laughs> because I was like okay I have nothing to lose I don't really know what a drama school is um, or I mean whatever you know what I mean so yeah I think I think that helps maybe no
0: absolutely and, and what advice would you give to younger people starting
1: out because we have a great
0: youth theatre and young company here
1: uh advice i would give um is keep um from from a very like logical point of view it's very hard to 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 be able to balance finances and and how to push it forward and there's going to be big spaces of time when you're not working when you're working and things like that i would say um great things to be seen in some of that if you can apply for um any drama schools i got in with many many bursaries and on like on funds and things like that there's also really great things like monologue slams that like and an open door and so they can help you get into drama school monologue slam is amazing um uh, they can go in write your own monologue and there's tons of agents there um and just little things and and even you know taking shows to edinburgh being in youth productions and things like that in london um, are very helpful um, to get seen, to get your name around, to maybe secure an agent or secure a show. Um, and also then, don't be for, like, as in you will need to take a second job. You absolutely will. So you've got like waitressing, you've got bar work, you've got reception work, you've got like on call and a lot of people do nannying and things like that. And that is something you're going to need to do uh, and you need to just balance, balance that. I mean, some people mightn't have to do that, but the majority will. So don't be... Uh, don't have your head explode when you're like how do I juggle all this you can and you will and if you want to make a go of it the people who really want to make a go of it will make a go of it and the people who are kind of unsure kind of maybe it's not for them won't so yes that is some advice
2: really strange that the first piece of advice that came to my head was that if you think about quitting quit that is the only advice that I think is because, yeah, we, we strive to get an agent so that we can get work, but we can create work, and we can get work by contacting casting directors ourselves and sending show reads and whatever else. Um, but if you do not love it wholeheartedly, you probably would be best to, to... And that sounds awful, but I... I can remember a friend of mine who quit, after drama school, quit acting, and kind of... It was the most freeing decision that they'd ever made, because... They never, like, they just let it all go. And unfortunately, I love it too much that I actually couldn't make that decision. I, it's not a thing that would go through my head to contemplate, even though sometimes it's extremely difficult trying to find that balance between work and family life and, and whatever. And even the second job is so true. Like, you probably maybe have a third and fourth job because then you get an audition and then the bar aren't happy that you're leaving and not special treatment, but you are an artist and that needs to be recognised. It's different in Paris. You get 400 euro a week. If you were graduating as an artist, whereas here it's universal credit, and you're just one of many, getting the same standard buck payment, irrelevant of your qualification or certification, um, and I think that if you, like everything Michelle has said is absolutely dynamite, and especially that last thing about if you don't love it, don't be afraid to walk away from it, because it will actually free you, and maybe you come back to it in 10 years when you're in a position where your love can go full wholehearted, but... If you're, it's just it's too painful a career that if you don't love it with everything, then it's it's the little bits of sun shine that you get aren't going to be worth it because you're thinking about everything else, and not that you won't think about everything else because it's your life and and only you can think within yourself, but it's a very difficult career, and I'm only twenty six, Michelle's only twenty eight, and we're very young and wide eyed, you know, in a sense still. So we might well I don't know what the future holds for either of us, but it is very tough at times and especially with the pandemic and then our industry especially in theatre we couldn't there was exemptions for film but no exemptions for theatre so we were shut down as a whole industry and as something that as this virus continues to evolve there's going to be a job every year and then there's going to be potentially more lockdowns and god knows how long it's going to you know perpetuate for so I think if you love it do everything like you love if you're, I used to love football and I literally gave up football my mate Paul gave up his bloody God and commit to it and it's like you have to make sacrifices and be prepared to make those sacrifices
0: no you do need that element of realism don't you because like you say it is a tough industry and it's quite an unforgiving yeah, industry and mm-hmm. um, no, I think that's pretty sound advice um, and then to round things off I wanted to do some quick fire recommendations about what you've been reading and listening to so I'm going to ask you don't even think about it just just whatever comes to your head if I can ask you to recommend uh, an album
1: oh uh, I've just been listening to it all the last two weeks uh, the Montero album by little Nas it's so good you have to album. listen to it it's one of the first albums I've um, in a good while I've just listened I've just let play all the way through because it's just great mm-hmm. um, phenomenal yes. artist
2: mm. oh, let's check that out. actually um Paul Simon Graceland, mm-hmm. it's an old album. Fred again is also one I've listened to more recently. The whole album start to finish, and you can just let it happen and it's great. But in terms of like if I want to leave a message <laughs> for the kids, Paul Simon Graceland, Sam Cooke, anything. Um, yeah, well, How about a book?
1: Oh, I've been listening to. I mean, I am big fan of John Ronson, uh, the documentary filmmaker and um, podcast uh, personality. Um, but so I've I've just gone through. I I I was listening to. Um, so you've been publicly shamed by him and things like that. Um, and I'm just reading a book called "Them: uh, A Conversation with Extremists" by John Ronson, and it is. Uh, on Audible and it is fantastic how he gets into these situations how he sits down with these people Um, and yeah if you you like I mean if you like anything by Louis Theroux and stuff like that you'll love everything by John Ransom so I mean get into him he's great
2: I've been reading Malcolm X's autobiography a friend of mine had recommended it at the start of my trip and I've since been divulging this intro because I don't want to start chapter one (laughs) until like this intro was like oh my it's a chapter in itself but yeah uh not that I can recommend it yet. I don't know, but I, it was recommended to me by a very trusty friend. So pass that on. Malcolm X, all the biography. How About a TV
1: show. Oh, I mean, it's a TV show, but it's like um, it's a, basically a documentary series. That, again, I've just been watching non-stop called Love on the Spectrum on Netflix. It's on season two. It's so wonderful. It's about people on the autistic spe- spectrum, uh, basically entering into the world of dating, uh, and it's really great, especially if you have. Um, Family members or friends who are on the autistic spectrum, and you, it, it's such a lovely show about just normality, and it's it's just wonderful, and it's 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 really if you like want your heart to sing, and um, it, it's it's just a fabulous show.
2: The Vikings <laughs> I have to recommend. Um, I actually have been. I've been taking a lot of Michelle's recommendations recently, too. So, All 4 is a pretty sweet spot where I got to watch Time. Mm. And the other one was Stephen Graham and Julie Connor. Uh, help, help. Help. But they're very heavy-hitting shows. So, you know, maybe Sunday night. Not really Monday morning, but... <laughs> and how about film? Oh. Um,
1: see, okay. Th- this is not a new film, but i just... Been binging a lot of uh, Studio Ghibli so as in one of my favourite I mean Miyazaki just uh, um, so one of my favourite films is Howl's Moving Castle so if you haven't seen it please like enjoy the hour and 40 minutes it's so magical and it. I think in this times we need stuff to like lift us up and that's a really great film to like lift you up I'd say Howl's Moving Castle or Spirited Away yeah yeah I mean or Ponyo or any of them with a capital just listen to all of them
2: uh, film? 12 Angry Men, The Revenant. I-, I love films that are all shot in one's tape or in one room. I, I, love, f- I love Michael Slavas. he was the DOP on Breaking Pad and then the director on Game of Thrones. And his work's really interesting, but just the fact that he, it's always looking for ways to make film uh, more interesting. I just, and even the Birdman is kind of cool because the way the camera is just you, you're you more involved and you're very aware that I'm sitting down to watch a film and we're, I think a lot of people try and like suspend disbelief beyond, oh, you you forget you're in a theatre? It's like, no, I want my audience to go, I'm in a theatre and this guy just pulled a copper from under my feet and like he just reminded me the exit fire exits behind me but at the same time just pulled every emotion. You know, I love when that kind of world can be created, so yeah. Well,
0: thank you very much for your time. Thank Thank you. you. All the best for the rest of the run. Yeah,
1: thank
0: you very much. A massive thank you to Michelle and Curtis Lee for chatting with us. Shining City is playing on our stage until Saturday the 23rd of October and you can get tickets from £10 online at stratfordeast.com. Remember to like, share and subscribe our podcast and thanks for listening. Until next time.